All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. We're finishing up a week of First Kings, and here we are, 19 and 20. You know, I've always loved the story of Elijah. You know, the reality is, is that when we come into cities, <laughs> I love to think that the temperatures and the weather, it's always changing, is it not? Like when we come into cities, I mean, think about the rain that we had in the Dallas tent uh, uh, in 2007. You know, I remember the massive amounts of snow that we had and how cold it was in, in North Dakota. You know, yeah, you have those regardless if you're there or not. But sometimes I'd really like to think, man, we've been praying for this. I wonder if God really wants to respond. And so when you come after like this incredible time of ministry, like, wow, I just saw God, you know, in 07, when you saw the most rainfall in 40 days in Dallas, we saw a state of drought drop, done, two and a half years, it's done. And when you come away from a time of ministry like that, it's almost like you're all the way up here and then you're like, Phew, now, now what? You know, we poured into Revive Texas for, you know, 50 days, right? 50 days in 10 different regions and you pour your heart out. And it's almost like when, you done, when you're done for those 50 days, mentally something just happens. You're just like, you just, I don't want to say you let your guard down, but in some regards you do because you're just like, oh. <laughs> that's where we're at with Elijah. Elijah just saw the fire of God fall. One of the most incredible stories of God answering a human's prayer. And then after that, he kills all of these hundreds of prophets, right? He then outruns King Ahab because he's running so fast. He outruns this, you know, the king there. So like everything is like, wow, God's hand is radically on this prophet Elijah. Like, what else can he do? And at that point, it says in 1 Kings 19, verse 1, like Ahab told Jezebel, everything that Elijah had done. So like, we don't know what King Ahab told Jezebel, okay? We just know whatever he told him uh, probably wasn't the full truth. We do know he did say how he killed all the prophets with the sword. That's the backdrop of the story, okay? So as he gets there, now think about this. Elijah, I have to keep saying this, in, in James 5, 17, he has a nature like ours. Kevin, if you would, would you go to Psalm 39, 5? You know, no matter how hard he tries, no matter how hard we try, Psalm 39, verse 5, it, it just talks about this. You indeed have made my day short in length, and my lifespan is nothing in your, your sight. But look at this. Yes, every mortal man is only a vapor. In other words, <laughs> altogether, everything is vanity. Everything just comes and it goes. And like, even when you're at the highest or at, your, at the lowest. So Ahab, he should have been the one that was in charge, but he tells Jezebel, like, she's the one in charge. And says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. It's like, why isn't the king sending the message? The king is the one who just got his, his rear end spared, right? All of a sudden, the rain just came, and now Jezebel steps in in verse 2 and sends a messenger to Elijah, saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them, by this time tomorrow. Jezebel is the one releasing this word. And it's interesting enough, she could have released through King, through Ahab, they could have released what I would say the military, uh, uh, like all of the military could have came and got Elijah, right? You know, one of the commentators said, I really like this angle. You know, 
Elijah right now is like, he's the guy. Like he's actually the good guy, right? Everybody in the nation views him as a good guy because what happened? The rain fell. And so if, if Jezebel comes in and wipes out, all of a sudden you might have a martyr on your hands. You might have a hero who's now just been killed, but why would he be killed when he just brought the rain? And so secretly, it's kind of like maybe she has a different angle. And that's what Jezebels do, you guys. They always have a different motive, a different angle about working their way into the system when really that's not how God designed it. Be leery of those type of people in your ministry, in your organization, uh, uh, like in your business. People that try to manipulate the system, you guys, it's not healthy. So then what happens in verse 3? Well, Elisha gets this letter. He opens it up. He gets this word, this message from the servant that he's going to die by tomorrow. Remember, this is the guy who was courageous. (laughs) This is the guy who saw the power of God fall and he heard about an answered prayer. Like this is, Elisha's afraid of Jezebel. And he says he became afraid. He's facing 850 prophets and he's afraid of Queen Jezebel. And it says he immediately ran for his life. And then it says he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah and he left his servant there. All right. Now, there's a lot of people who would say, well, Elijah, uh, it's, it's okay. Like he had courage. He didn't have courage. Like there's a lot of arguments. Did he leave and walk out of God's will in this process? Here's what I want to say. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. I think this is really, I don't care what you think about this, except listen to this quote. Charles Spurgeon said, Elijah uh, retreated before a beaten enemy. Think about that. He is quitting on an enemy that's already been defeated. They've already been crushed. They've already been destroyed. And yet he's the one leaving. Strangely enough, Elijah, it looks like, even Wearsby would say this, it looks like he's running ahead of the Lord just simply to save his life. Now, you could say, well, if you got a death letter, wouldn't you run too? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just walking through this process. And so just be careful of getting out of, as Wearsby says, getting out of God's will. Uh, it leads to a lot of foolish things. And then, you know what it, it does is it leads to failure, not because you're not trying, but because you don't want God to move in your life. And so when, when, uh, when you see Elijah running, you're like, Elijah, this hasn't been your function. You haven't been functioning like this. And then the craziest thing is it says that he leaves his servant in Beersheba. So, Rich, if you can go to the white map here. So think about this. Here you have Mount Carmel. Okay, so Mount Carmel is where Carmel is where the fire fell, right? And then remember, he ran to Jezreel, right? This is the backdrop, okay? So he outran King Ahab. In this context, Ahab tells Jezebel, hey, by the way, hey, I'm going to come kill you. And so what do you know? They go, he flees for his life, right? Elijah and his servant, and they come to Beersheba. But then it says that he left a servant where King Jehoram, right, of Judah is married to Ahab's daughter. So Ahab, King Ahab has a family member in Beersheba where he left his servant. Probably not the safest place. Oh, you'll be fine <laughs> to leave his servant there. And in verse four, it says, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. All right. So here is the process. Let me let me back up just a little bit, because there's going to be four types of messages that you're going to see in first Kings 19. Okay, the very first message that we've been talking about is, okay, it's the enemy. And and Wearsby really breaks this up. Well, the enemy's message of danger. Okay, so the message of danger is, hey, by the way, Elijah, you're going to be dead in one day. (laughs) Okay. 
Okay, so the enemy's message of danger. Okay, so that's why he's running. Okay, he's now running because of this message. And then he leaves his servant in Beersheba. But then it says he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat under a broom tree. Some would call it a juniper tree. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Sufficient foliage, as Nelson describes it, for shade. It grows to maybe about 10 feet tall. Uh, and it's an abundant tree in Israel. So this isn't like a, oh, he found a broom tree. Like this is just a common tree. One of the random facts that I just kind of liked about this part here, uh, the roots of this tree are actually used for plants, or are you ready for this one? For charcoal. So like, the only reason I think that's kind of interesting is that Elisha's life, it has a theme of fire. <laughs> like just everywhere he goes, the fire falls. Everywhere he goes, the fire is there. In fact, just for a fun picture, go to Psalm 120 verse 4, will you, Kevin? Psalm 120, verse 4, just uh, here, here it is. Uh, it's just a little bit of a picture. A warrior sharp arrows with burning charcoal. Some would say part of that could be from this, this tree. So anyway, just thoughts, interesting components here, what the charcoal is and how this looks, looks like. And so here you have Elijah sitting down saying, I'd rather die. But he doesn't want, if you can go back, Kevin, for me, he doesn't want Jezebel to die, to kill him. He'd rather have just the Lord take his life. Bad enough, Lord. Just take me. I'm no better than my father's. I'm done. Totally hit that point one time in Wisconsin. We were doing Revive Wisconsin. And I don't know what it was, man. I just, there was a night. I just, there's some comments that were made. And just a little thing after a little thing, you just, I'm done. Uh, you guys remember that night? <laughs> it was kind of one of those radical nights where then when we were all done, we all gathered in a time of prayer. Our people just gathered around. Like there's just a special time for our team. And for me, it was a turning point of just like, am I willing to press through or am I not? And if you listen to the enemy's message that's always come at your life, you're going to actually get to this point. But praise the Lord, you guys, in this process, and this is what I love about verse 5, you're going to see what we would consider, what Weersby spells out, the angel's message of grace. So in verses 5 through 8, you're going to see a different, a different message, a different tone. So then he lay down, and I love this. Um, he took a nap. He took a nap. Uh, Vance Havner says a great quote. If we didn't come apart and rest, we'd come apart. And really, this is what's happening. If, if Elijah doesn't rest and chill out under a broom tree, chill out under the juniper tree, like he'd fall apart, and he's at that point. But suddenly, an angel just came over and he touched him. <laughs> it says the angel, he told him, get up and eat. Remember, they don't have phones to wake people up, right? So they had angels back then. <laughs> it's awesome. So the angel then basically wakes him up. Interesting. Remember Peter in Acts 12, 7. Remember this? An angel comes and, and wakes up a Peter. Like multiple times, you guys, do you see angels interacting? Like, look, in Acts 12, 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the, sail, uh, in the cell, striking Peter on the side. This angel was a little bit more aggressive, you know, striking Peter outside, he woke him up and he said, quick, get up. So like, you're going to see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, angels encountering humans. Now at this point, it just says an angel touched him, told him to get up and eat. Why? Because in verse six, it says, then he looked and there at his head, well, praise God, heavenly bread was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. The angel made food for the burnt out, shot, fried, depressed, overwhelmed, you name it, exhausted Elijah. And he said, please, let, let me feed you. So Elijah ate and he drank and then he, he laid down again. Now remember, part of the role of angels in Hebrews 1.14 says is that they are ministering spirits. They're here to minister to us 
as we get through this process, as we look to advance the kingdom, as we look to take the message of the Lord. But right before this, it just says the angel. But now in verse 7, you should get a little bit excited because then it says the angel of the Lord returned a second time. And so many people, myself included, I'm just going to tell you, I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. I believe Christ shows up to one of the greatest prophets and he feeds him and then he has to wake him up a second time. Like snooze. This is a snooze right here. He says, get up and eat or the journey will be too much uh, for you. And I love this. We have some friends, um, they have a ministry, an incredible ministry. And their whole point is, is, is and Kevin, if you'll go back to verse seven, their whole point of the ministry is to do this. It's people that are in the ministry. They want to get them refreshed. They want to pour into them. They want to encourage them to play, to pray and to get pampered. Like literally, why? Because the journey's too much for them and it's journey, much, journey is too much for us. So there's a ministry that actually does this. And so here you have Christ showing up, the pre-incarnate Christ showing up to Elijah. Genesis 16, verse 10, Exodus 3, Moses, he has an encounter with the pre-incarnate. I mean, there's so many examples, you guys, of the pre-incarnate Christ. But this is a special one. It's one where Christ wakes up Elijah and then feeds him. You know, it, thinks, it makes me think, you guys, in the end of John, right? When Jesus has the breakfast on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember this, you guys? And they're out fishing, and then he has breakfast ready. How cool is this? Jesus was making breakfast in the Old Testament, and he's making breakfast in the New Testament. And so in verse 8, what does Elijah do? He gets up, he ate, he drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And so if we can, let's go to this next map, uh, Rich, if we can. So now think about this. Mount Carmel, right? Then they go to Jezreel over here. Then from Jezreel, they go to Beersheba. And then from Beersheba, okay, look, look at this. It says he walked 40 days and 40 nights all the way down to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, Horeb. You know, when you do this calculation from Mount Carmel all the way down to Horeb, Okay, now remember, he ran for a while and then he walked for the 40 days and 40 nights. It's an estimated walk, walking time, not running time, but walking time of 124 hours just to walk. That's crazy, you guys. And do you know how he did it? On the strength of the food that Christ gave him. On the strength of the, the food and the water, because for 40 days and 40 nights, nothing. You know, I did a fast for 40 days in Asheville, North Carolina, prior to uh, coming in for Revive Asheville. Lost a lot of weight, learned a ton. But I actually, I can't fathom, uh, I didn't do any food, but I can't fathom not having water. Like that part right there to me seems like the miraculous. Uh, I can understand the food and that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But at the same time, on the strength of the food from here, he walked all the way down day and night to get to Horeb. It's an incredible picture. And in verse nine, it says, when he got there, you guys, he went, remember, he was coming off of a message of grace. He was walking in on God's grace. And then here's the third layer, the third component of the message here. Then all of a sudden, what you're going to see is you're going to go from the angel's message of, of grace to the creator's message of power. Okay, of power. And we're going to go from verses nine through 14. So Elijah, he entered a cave there and he spent the night. Now, when you study this, even, even the original, even the original, um, 
the definitive article here, and I know that I don't usually get into the Hebrew in this stuff, but it could have implied that this is the same cave where Moses, okay, had hidden when he experienced the presence of Yahweh on the mountain of God. So maybe even the same environment, same cave, same mountain, same everything, maybe uh, where Elijah was. I don't know. Those kind of things are, are just kind of fun, fun to point out. And then in verse 10, it says this, he replied, okay, I have been very zealous for the Lord. In fact, Kevin, can you go back to verse 9 for me for a second? So he's entered in a cave, and I don't want to miss this. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Okay, twice you're going to actually hear this. What are you doing here, Elijah? So this is the first time, and, and really it's just a, a simple just saying, why did you get here? Why are you in this specific place? We'll get to another thing. And then he just says, I've been zealous, in verse 10, I've been zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. But the Israelites, they've abandoned your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I'm alone and left. I alone am left. And they are looking for me to take my life. This is why I'm here. You have to ask why I'm here. It doesn't look good. And really, a spirit of depression, you guys, it just feels like has truly kicked in. And when you have so much passion, so much zeal, and people don't respond, it can get you to this point. And in verse 11, it just says, okay, well, then the Lord, he says, then the Lord, he said, go out and I want you to stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. So leave the cave. Okay. You're right here. I need you to leave the cave. I need you to go out. And at that moment, it says the Lord passed by. And as he passed by, you guys, there's a couple things that passed by. Okay. Look at this. It says a great and mighty wind was uh, was tearing at the mountain and mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. <laughs> and yet he's hanging on, maybe for dear life. I don't know. Anything that's tearing at the mountains and shattering the cliffs. But it says the Lord was not in the wind. Scripture continues on. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Now, let me just say this real quick. Kevin, can you go to Acts 2 verse 2? I do want you to understand something, that the Lord does appear in these things. In this instance, though, he's not. Now, in Acts 2, 2, it says, Suddenly a sound like that of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house while they were staying. So we have seen God show up in the wind, right? That makes sense? Okay, now let's go back to 1 Kings. Okay, and it says this, After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now, we would know that God shows up multiple times in earthquakes. But in this instance, where Elijah is outside the mountains, God's not in the earthquake. But just to show you in Zechariah 14, verse 4 and 5, Kevin, if you'd go there, Zechariah 14, 4 and 5, this is when Jesus, the, the coming Messiah, says he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half of the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. Now look in verse 5. Scripture says this, you will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend as all. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Uh, and then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Look, as you fled from the earthquake, here you have God showing up in a form of an earthquake. Okay, So it's evident God can show up in the wind. God can show up in the earthquake. The only reason I'm showing you this, in Elijah's case, God was not in those things. And then one other thing, if you go to verse 12, after the earthquake, there was a fire. It says, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. You know, a couple illustrations of the fire. Kevin, if you go to Exodus 40, verse 38. 
I want to show you God can speak in these things. But in Elijah's case, not this time. In Exodus 40, verse 38, the scripture says this. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night. So God visibly showed up to all of Israel, right, through fire. But in Elijah's case, Kevin, if you go back, okay, in verse 12, but the Lord was not in the fire. The Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. Here he is on the cliff, hanging on, looking and waiting to hear from the Lord. And it says, after the fire, there was a voice, and the scripture says, it was a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, and this is the second time, right? What are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, for the second time, he hears this question. And I love this question because think about this. And I'm going to read what Nelson's right because I think this is really powerful. Elisha was looking for God because he had called for God for lightning, right? He had called for the fire. In 1 Kings uh, 18, he had called for revival. He had called for a massive move of God, but what he didn't see was that God was truly working in the lives of many people, in the quietness, in the stillness. God was working in the everyday people. But what Elijah wanted, you guys, all the time was the wind. What he wanted all the time was the earthquakes. What he wanted all the time was the fire. And honestly, in ministry, I think that's what we want. And when you don't see those massive movements that God brings all the time, it can actually lead to depression because then you say, God, are you really at work in my everyday life? And Elijah is questioning this whole process like, man, I don't even see you, God. And God shows up to him in a voice. And he says, what are you doing? I love this quote here, but what Wearsby says, it's, you know, uh, it's time, Elijah. It's time to be elsewhere. And he says, what are you doing here? It's time to be elsewhere serving God, both in the normal routine of life in accordance with his specific commission. It doesn't have to be always the fire falling. In verse 14, scripture continues. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left. I'm looking and they're looking for me to take my life. And so as you have this creator's message of power, which I have to tell you, God in that point speaks through the, vo- the voice, a soft whisper, you have the fourth and final comment because he begins to set the stage. And this is what he does. This is the last one here. He is that the Lord's, he gives you the Lord's message of, of hope. In verses 15 through 21. So you go from the enemy's message of danger, the angel giving you a message of grace. Then you see God show up in his power, but the power doesn't come through the large things. The power comes in the quietness. And as the quietness is here, God begins to reveal a potential future and hope. And in verse 15, it says, The Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. And I love this. You know what you really have to understand? The job's not done. The job's not done. You need to go into a new direction. And I'm going to have you actually walk out your anointing. The crazy thing is, is God could have and truly should have probably rejected Elijah at this point. This guy's a mess. Fine, you want to die, I'll kill you. But he doesn't think like that with us. Can you go to Psalm 103, verse 10? God doesn't give up on us, even when we constantly are complaining and saying, I'm done. 
Psalm 103, verse 10. And praise the Lord, by the way. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our offenses. And then if you go to verse 14, Kevin, for he knows what we are made of, remembering that we're dust. Oh, yeah. These are the guys that I just made with clay from dust. Like these are the guys. This is how they're going to act. And so whenever they get to this point of desperation and despair, I'm going to give them hope. I'm going to speak and breathe life into them. And here's what he says in verse 16. You're to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Nimshi? You're to anoint one king over Israel and Elisha, son of Japhat, from Abdel, Meholah, as prophet in your, in your place. And so in verses 15 and 16, he is to anoint, you guys, three people. Haziel is king, Jehu is king, and now I'm giving you somebody else to be an instrument for the Lord, Elisha, who's going to take your place. Oh, you have a whole new direction. Just because you didn't see it in this moment from fire falling again on Jezebel, relax. I'm moving in a different direction. So don't always bank on seeing the fire fall from heaven in this way. God might want to do it a different way in a different season. And that's what I love about ministry is that it's always changing when you listen to the quiet voice of the Lord. Verse 17, just in describing Jehu, he's going to put to death whoever escapes the sword of Haziel and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But then look in verse 18. <laughs> I love this. Hey, uh, hey, Elijah, get over yourself. I will leave 7,000 in Israel. Every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, there's other people than just you. You might be this great leader that everybody thinks, oh yeah, but, and here's what I love what weird, uh, Nelson says, but there's a community of God literally among everyday people whose lives are not spectacular, but who live faithfully for God every day. They might not be the guy that brings the fire, but oh, by the way, they're consistent and they're faithful and they're obedient in the Lord. Get over yourself because I'm moving everywhere. And I love this. And in verses 19 and on, Elisha, he left there. He got it. He found Elisha, son of Shaphat, as he was plowing. And here's what he was doing. Twelve, team, twelve teams of oxen were in front of him and he was with them with the twelfth team. And Elisha walked by him <laughs> and he just threw his mantle over him. Like, can you imagine farming and all of a sudden a flying mantle? <laughs> and it, it landed. And then it says in verse 21, so he turned back, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 20. Elisha left the oxen and he ran to follow Elisha. So can I just back up for a second? In the quietness of the Lord speaking to Elijah, in his state of depression and burnout, guess what? Elijah responded to the voice of the Lord. He did overcome that state that's not of the Lord. He overcame his self-centeredness. He overcame the mental instability. However, whatever you want to look at in, in, that, in that environment. Because he realized God still has a purpose in his life. God still wanted him to do something with his life radically that could impact the kingdom of God. And so he goes and anoints Elisha. He throws a mantle on. Elisha says, okay, I'm in. He leaves the oxen. He runs to follow Elijah. And then there's this weird little phrase that seems to contradict the words of Christ. Because he says, after he's been called to follow the Lord, he says, hey, can I go back and kiss my father and my mother and, and then I'll follow you? Well, we know when Jesus says that, they never come back. But we do know, based on the life of Elisha, that's not the case. Elisha actually goes back. He does and he experiences exactly what he says. <laughs> and then it says in verse 21, he turned back from following, took the team of oxen, slaughtered them. And when the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat, gave it to the people and they ate. Then he left 
followed Elijah and served him. It's a cool picture. It's a cool picture of one man of God named Elijah who went through this whole process of hearing from the enemy, but God's grace came in. He experienced the power of God, but I just want to encourage you guys. He didn't experience the power of God from the fire falling in this chapter. He experienced the power of God by the, by the Spirit of God just speaking to him in this gentle whisper. Nobody, nothing flashy, nothing crazy. And because he heard the whisper of God in everyday life, He then went and got to anoint three different people. And as a result, he got to pass on the mantle to Elisha, who could carry on what God had been telling him. It's a cool story. I don't know what state you're in right now, listening to the enemy's message, experiencing God's grace, experiencing his power, or walking out the message. Hope either one. I just want to show you at the end, there's hope. Whatever state you're in, there is hope. Trust me, if Elijah, who has a nature like ours, can go through this, so can we. All right, guys, have a great day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.